Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. This is Reverend Rosemary with you this evening. Thanking God for this wonderful opportunity that we have to meet again around the table of his word. We're going to open our study with a word of prayer. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for meeting with us today and for your Holy Spirit who prepares our heart for the word that you have for us. Father, we pray that you will open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things in your word. And let the revelation of this word be our hearts and that we may be quick to obey, O oh God, and that we may be doers of the word. For your very word de declares that it is the doers of the word that are blessed. So because you watch over your word to fulfill it, we thank you, Lord, for meeting us at our point of need. And we thank you that no one will leave this meeting the same. We praise you, O Lord, and we glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Well, today we are looking at the subject, a holy life is a powerful life. And we are going to open our study by reading a couple of uh, scriptures. Uh, one of the first one is taken from the book of First uh, Peter chapter 1 and verse 16 that tells us that it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. Amen. So this is the Lord speaking, saying, be ye holy for I am holy. And I'd like to follow up with another verse, which is uh, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, which says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Amen. So these two verses are speaking about being holy. Amen. The second one, Hebrews 12, 14, tells us that we are to follow holiness. And in order to follow holiness, we have to understand, first of all, that um, our starting point is a drawing near to God with full face, full faith and a clean conscience. Amen. And secondly, it requires a genuine acceptance of Christ as our Savior and as our sacrifice for sin. Uh, and this acceptance brings us into fellowship with God. So this is the starting point into our walk of holiness, in following holiness. Amen. You see, the Christian's objective is to be like Christ, and which means that uh, because he is holy, then we too should be holy. So therefore, holiness is the desire and also the duty of every Christian. Amen. In every area of life. And God makes those holy whom he saved. God does not try to make unbelievers holy. It is those who have stepped into, amen, what I just explained as the steps in following holiness, which means to, you know, first drawing near to God with, you know, with full faith and with a cleansed conscience and and having a you know this genuine genuine acceptance uh, of Christ as our Savior, Amen. Uh, and having paid the price for our sin, which and that brings us into fellowship with God, Amen. So God wants to make us holy, but this is the starting point. He cannot work for one who does not believe, and His Word commands us that is, those who have believed in him, a born-again Christian, to be holy in every way. So it's essential for us to watch and also pray against um, sins, the sins to which we are inclined. Amen. So um, holiness is simply the habit, really, of being in one mind with God. And it is the conduct of being aligned with him. So it is not based, holiness is not based on religious traditions. 
Amen. Um, you know, Jesus made that statement in uh, John chapter 14 and verse 12. He says, those who believe in me will do what I do. And he says, and they will do even greater things. Amen. So notice that those who believe in him, he says, will do what he does. In other words, we are to, if we are true believers, we are, to, we are called to walk as Jesus walked. Amen. Um, actually, John, first John chapter two and verse six, uh, he's, you know, this is spelled out very clearly. Uh, let me go ahead and read that verse. First John two and verse six. He that saith that he abides in him, that is Jesus or Christ, ought also so to walk, even as he walked. Amen. So, uh, um, it's essential then that, uh, you know, if truly we are going to pursue holiness, uh, that we also understand that it is our calling as Christians to be Christ-like, therefore to walk as Jesus walked. So we need to find out how he walked. Amen. And I believe that one of the first things that we note in looking at Jesus's life is his amazing godliness and purity. You know, the lust of this world did not govern him. Um, he ruled over unnatural and ungodly desires. And uh, in the same manner, the Apostle Paul informs us of the acceptable way to serve God. Amen. And uh, he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he writes this, uh, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. Amen. So notice that God has tremendous, I mean, he has great promises for us. Amen. And um, in light of that, if we want to partake of these promises, he says that we are to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, and we are to perfect holiness in the fear or in the reverence of the Lord. So we see truly that there is um, tremendous power for us in God. Hallelujah. But it doesn't happen without holiness. Um, God wants us blessed. Amen. And he has given us these exceedingly great and precious promises. Uh, but, you know, we ought to understand that uh, in order to step into these blessings, we have to purpose to walk like Jesus. Amen. And um, this is what's going to open the door for us um, to his power, to his miracle working power. And also we have to understand that there are no shortcuts to get there. Amen. Um, it takes diligence, uh, you know, applying ourselves in being, you know, in reverence, reverencing the Lord and uh, walking in the light of his word, being doers of the word, being obedient. The Bible says those, it is those who are willing and obedient who will eat of the good of the land. Amen. I believe this is uh, Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 19 uh, that says this. So, you know, we have an enemy. Uh, and the Bible says in John chapter 10 and verse 10 that he has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Amen. And um, he understands uh, the power of holiness. And he will attempt to hinder God's people from experiencing the goodness of God. Amen. And we, you know, must understand the principle uh, here that uh, in speaking about holiness and power and the power of God and the promises of God, that uh, the principle is this, holiness precedes power. Amen. Holiness precedes power. Therefore, it is up to us to guard against the enemies of holiness. Amen. You know, the Bible tells us that the enemy uh, goes around 
as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So we must be steadfast. We must be vigilant to protect ourselves, to guard ourselves from enemies because the enemy cannot just, you know, devour a believer if there is no open door. So we are to keep ourselves, amen, in the love of God, in, in walking in holiness, amen. And this is what will help us, amen, step into this uh, place of power where the Lord wants us actually to walk in and be able to possess the inheritance that he has for us. So, you know, truly there is God, there is power in godliness. And we look and looking at Jesus' life, we see that Jesus was holy. And at the same time, he was uh, powerful. Uh, but also, uh, he operated in more power than us. Amen. However, uh, what we need to see here is that this great anointing that he carried was not because, uh, you know, he is the son of God. It was not only because of that. You know, actually, Philippians chapter 2 explains that when Jesus came to earth, um, he stripped himself of his divine privileges and he ministered as a man. And if he did, then what was the secret of his amazing power? And I, I do believe that part of the answer is found in, in the book of Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8 that tells us that Jesus loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God anointed him with the oil of gladness above his fellows. Amen. So not only was Jesus born sinless, but he remained sinless. He loved righteousness, hated iniquity. Amen. And his words to his disciples before going to the cross testify of it. Amen. That he has, he remained his you know, he remained holy, sinless. He told his disciples in John chapter 14 and verse 30, he says, the prince of this world cometh and has nothing in me. So there was nothing of darkness, nothing of Satan in Jesus. He had made sure to walk in total righteousness and holiness. Amen. And um, and it, it was not also because he was spared from temptation. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, uh, confirms this by stating that Jesus was tempted in all points, like we are, but and yet remained without sin. Amen. So Jesus was tempted in all. So there is no really that we uh, you know, experience in, in, in this life, no temptation that he is not familiar with. He was tempted in all points, but yet he remained without sin. And we, will, we would do well to understand how uh, sin opens the door to the adversary, how it neutralizes our authority as beavers and how it separates us from God. You know, um, Let's listen to what the uh, to say regarding the cold uh, calamities. Amen. Why calamities happened in uh, in Isaiah chapter fifty nine verses? I'm going to read verses one and twenty nine. Verses one and two. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Amen. So this is really, that's very strong, you know, uh, for the Lord to say that it is our iniquities that separates us from him. And, how, and it's because of our sins that he hides his face from us. And because of that, he cannot hear us. Amen. And God doesn't want any of his children to be to find themselves in such a position. Hallelujah. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And I'm going to uh, develop that a little bit. Um, but I'd like to read uh, two more verses, short verses. Uh, Proverbs 
11 and verse 19, which says, As righteousness tends to life, so he that pursues evil pursues it to his own death. This is, again, it's very strong. Amen. Um, it, let's, let's remember that the enemy, as we just said, you know, just a little while ago, that he comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. And First Peter chapter 5 tells us that he comes to, he's looking for someone to devour. Amen. So um, this must be, amen, um, something that we keep in mind that we cannot get away with sinning and think that everything will be okay. It can't. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. Amen. But you see, God always has an open door for those who love him and those who, because he knows we're going to miss it sometimes. Uh, the, 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 the issue here about walking in holiness is that we cannot... Um, you know, make sin something habitual in our lives. Yes, we will make, miss it sometimes. We are not perfect, and God knows that. And he says that if we come to him and we ask for forgiveness, we repent that he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. So repentance must, it must be real. It must be sincere. It means that there is a turning away from that which is sinful, Amen. And to, you know, follow God's purpose, to give of all ourselves, to follow him. You see, God cannot look upon sin. He's, he, he will burn it up. Even in, when you look back in the tabernacle, in the wilderness with the people of Israel, when they were in the wilderness, you know, there was a cup of silver that was placed under the legs um, that held the Ark of the Covenant when they set it up. And the reason for the silver it's because uh, it was a silver cup and the reason why it was silver is because in 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 scripture silver is symbolic of redemption so god required that because uh, this caused redemption and evidence that there was redemption between him and the sinful world even in the wilderness amen but you know so we christians uh, we have to remember that we do not have any righteousness in our own right. The only righteousness that we have is the righteousness of Christ. He paid for our sins so that we might part partake of his righteousness. Amen. Um, Jesus bought righteousness to whosoever will accept him as Savior. Amen. Second um, Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 explains that God made Jesus to be sin for us. Jesus who knew no sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Amen. And the we stands for whosoever will turn us. Amen. Will commit their lives to him as savior and as Lord. We must make Jesus our Lord. Amen. It's not sufficient that uh, we want to escape the punishment of sin, um, which at the end of when we live this life, amen, the Bible speaks of heaven and also speaks of hell, amen. So we cannot want to be, if you want to use the word fireproof, amen, escape hell and at the same time uh, live like, you know, citizens of hell while we are here on earth. It doesn't make any sense. We must live as if we want to go to heaven, if we want to partake of, of all the good things that God has for us. Amen. The Bible says that we are no longer, you know, uh, citizens of the earth once we give our life to Christ, that we are now citizens of heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. Amen. And Jesus has become our Lord and Savior, and we must we, we take our marching orders from him. So we find out that in the Bible, um, you know, as we study the Bible, that holiness and power, that they are connected. Um, in look at, looking at the life of the Apostle Paul, um, of, you know, Peter, uh, of John, we see that all these men, they were holy, and um, they walked in holiness, and they were also powerful. 
Amen. They had powerful ministries. The, 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 you know, the spirit of God is God. And, um, and he's called the Holy Spirit. And that name out, outlines who he is. Amen. That's why he's called Holy Spirit. He is holy. Amen. And the Holy Spirit is also the one who, you know, where you, you find the power of God, in whom you find the power of God in operation. Actually, um, Acts chapter 10 and verse 38 states uh, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, amen, and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him, amen. So God anointed with the Holy Spirit, amen, the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was filled with it. And Jesus himself uh, speaks of this anointing that he received in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, uh, when he went there into the temple and asked for the scroll of Isaiah, and he read um, in verse 18 of Luke 4, and he found the passage of Isaiah and from it, which says, the spirit of the Lord is on me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, recovering of sight to the blind, set at liberty them that are bruised. Amen. He had read these passages. We are told that he, he looked at, at the, the people there and he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your sight. So he was actually declaring to the world that he was the one who had been anointed to do this. So the anointing came is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit who anointed Jesus with power so he would perform all his, the works of his ministry so that, so that he would fulfill his vision. Amen. Actually, you know, uh, we are also told that the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Grace in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 29, amen. And we find out that it is by the, the enabling power of the Holy Spirit, of the Spirit of grace, who enable uh, Jesus, give him the ability to complete his mission and to not only to do, perform the work of his ministry, but to complete it in, in, in going to the cross, amen. It was by the power of the, the Holy Spirit, that Jesus was able to do that. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14 speak, says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Amen. What I want you to see from this verse here is especially the part that speaks of how Christ, through the eternal spirit, offered himself without spot to God. Amen. Hallelujah. It was all the operation of the Holy Spirit in Christ's life. Amen. That is why Christ is called, the, the, the name means the anointed one. Amen. Jesus Christ. Jesus the anointed one. So, you see, our goal, goal must be to live uh, victorious Christian lives. Um, this speaks of believers who know Jesus is alive, who know that he's powerful and know that he is able to live his life through them. Amen. We are speaking about oneness with God. The Bible tells us that, that we are one with him in 1 Corinthians 6, 17, you know, that he that is joined to the is one spirit. Amen. So, we must come to that place of intimacy with the Lord in walking uh, the life that he has for us so that we can truly experience this oneness. Amen. And for that, God has given us his Holy Spirit who lives in us, who works in us. He operates in us. Amen. Uh, I'm going to read from the Amplified Classic Version um, a verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16 that speaks of how the Holy Spirit lives in us. Amen. Hallelujah. How we are God's temple. So again, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. So, Do you not discern and understand that you, the whole church at Corinth, are God's 
his sanctuary, and that God's Spirit has his permanent dwelling in you to be at home in also individually. Amen. So we are told the believer, he lives in the believer. Amen. And so, um, and by and in doing that, as the believer um, surrenders, he yields his life to the working of the Holy Spirit, then that believer is made able to like her. Amen. That same also dwells in us. And this is also why we must take heed to uh, what we are told in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5. Um, that we are to beware of those who have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. Amen. Why? Because a holy life is a power, powerful life. Amen. But there are those who have a form of godliness, but there is no power to back up that you know, up, up appearance of godliness. And so the Bible tells us that we are to beware of those because they are operating from another spirit, amen. Um, and unfortunately, many Christians look for shortcuts to the power of God, amen. Um, and they end up becoming, uh, at best, frustrated because the enemy, you know, can only you work. I mean, you we can only do but so much when we it is not the Lord who is in charge. Amen. When we are walking in the flesh, when we are allowing another spirit to come and um, make us look holy, make us, you know, uh, pretend that we have this form of godliness. But truly, it is not the Holy Spirit who is undergirding our life. And this, uh, there there are many Christians who unfortunately end up becoming frustrated because they realize that they really cannot accomplish much for God. Amen. And they will be found out. The Bible says that you will know them by their fruit eventually, you know, and um, at worst, these people will become, uh, if they are seeking power, but not the power of the Holy Spirit, well, they will become either false teachers, false prophets. There are so many of, you know, those who call themselves by those, those names, but we know as we test the spirit, that this is not the Holy Spirit at work in them. So I'm stressing here again that there is tremendous power for us in God, but not without holiness, because holiness precedes power. We cannot be power hungry. Amen. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to anoint us with his power as we follow him. And if we are truly seeking to be holy, we will be quick to admit that there are areas, you know, in all of us that need to be confronted and disciplined. Um, but regrettably, there are um, so many churches where ministers are afraid to preach uh, truth for fear that people will react, that they will be offended and they will leave the church. And so we have the result. The end result is that the church is full of easily offended people who cannot grow beyond their ability to accept correction. And we see that the Apostle Paul, um, he instructed Timothy and uh, what to do. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 2, uh, Paul told him that he must reprove, that he must rebuke, and that he must exhort. You see, Paul had left Timothy there to pastor that congregation. And so Paul is giving him instructions as to what he should do. And three things that he must do is to reprove, is to rebuke, and is to exhort. Amen. And so notice that Paul didn't say that he is only to exhort, uh, but regrettably, uh, exhortation is what we receive in most churches today. Uh, and, And yes, we, you know, certainly we need to be encouraged, but there are also times when we all need to be reproved and rebuked. And so it is a, 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 the truth uh, that people do not change by exhortation alone. Amen. And so um, church leaders, in particular pastors, who do not or they refuse to discipline 
and correct those in sin, they themselves, they are in disobedience to God. And uh, therefore, they are enabled people into any truly transforming changes in their Jesus, Matthew 24, speaks about enduring to the end. Well, if they cannot be corrected, they will easily be deceived, amen, and be led by an spirit. That's what Jesus is saying at one in that at the when people appear and say to him, then today depart from me, for I never knew you. This is very scary when you hear that while walking. Um you know, they were walking the walk, <laughs> as they say. Um, but they actually, uh, they were being led by another spirit. Jesus says, I never knew you. These people never took time to really seek the Lord, uh, follow the ways of the, of the Holy Spirit, know God's will, know God's ways, and humble themselves under his mighty hands so that he himself can exalt us in due time. Walking in his power is a form of exaltation, amen. But we, there's something we must do before, amen, to humble ourselves under his mighty hand, hallelujah. So we must desire to grow um, and therefore have the heart to want to know from the Holy Spirit what needs to change in us and then do it. We must follow up in it. It's not enough to just know and just, you know, do you know ask God to forgive us and then we go back to the same thing? It doesn't make sense. It is the doers, the Bible says that it is the doers of the word that are blessed in James chapter 1 and verse 25. It actually says the person who does not do the word is like someone who, having seen himself in a mirror, he goes away and doesn't do anything. If the mirror shows him the reflection of something that needs to be fixed, let's say the hair that needs to be combed or the tie that is crooked, and the person does nothing uh, to change the image, that reflection that he's seen in the mirror, he says that person is deceiving himself. That person, the Bible calls him a, a hearer of the word and, and not a doer of the word. Amen. And um, that verse also goes on to say that it is the doers of the word that will be blessed in their deeds. Amen. Hallelujah. And notice that uh, Proverbs 15.5 says that a wise man will receive a rebuke and he will prosper. Amen. The wise man knows how to humble himself. Amen. And follow whatever the, the, the Lord will, you know, tell him to do, amen, um, will obey the word. But that same verse goes on to say, but a fool rejects his father's discipline, amen. And we don't want to be fools. We want to be like the wise men, hallelujah, who when we are corrected, we receive that correction, we apply ourselves and be doers of the word. And the end result is that we will prosper, amen. I would like for a moment to focus on uh, a man um, in the, the Gospels, actually, uh, the prophet John the Baptist. And, um, I'm going to, and I'm going to read from verse 13 to verse 17, Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he, that is John the Baptist, suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Amen. Now, you know, in reading scripture, we find out that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. Amen. Uh, in Luke chapter 1 and verse 15, we are told that. Uh, we are also told that his coming was in the spirit and power of Elijah. And historians tell us that uh, John's 
his powerful and uncompromising ministry led nearly one million people to repentance. Amen. And so we see in scriptures that vast multitudes uh, left their cities and towns and went into the wilderness to hear uh, this prophet and to be baptized into repentance in preparation for the kingdom of God. Amen. Now, what I want you to note also is that uh, at this point in time, only Jesus walking the earth knew the fallen condition of the human heart more perfectly than John. Amen. However, in looking at um, John's ministry, we see that no class of people escaped John, John the Baptist's judgment, whether they be soldiers or kings, uh, sinners or religious leaders alike. They were all brought into what you would call the valley of decision. Amen. Um, because John's baptism was more than a, just a simple immersion in water, but it required a public confession of sins as well as the bringing forth of righteousness. Amen. We are told that in Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, yes, Matthew 3 and verse 6, uh, that says that they were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. So you see, the confession of sins was part of John's uh, baptism. Amen. And then in verse 8, they were told to bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. Amen. So um, these, these fruits here that they are to bring forth, they are fruits of righteousness. Amen. So that was a requirement for John's water baptism. However, we see that Jesus, in speaking about John, says um, that there was, has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Amen. Jesus testified that John was more than a prophet and that among those born of women, that there was none greater than John. And um, so in looking at John's life, we see that he was a prophet. He was a, what you'd call a seer prophet. He saw things, amen, which meant that he had opened vision into the spirit realm. He himself testified uh, that John, that is, said of himself in, in the book, the Gospel of John 1 and verse 32, he said, I have seen the spirit descending as a dove out of heaven. Amen. And then in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, John the Baptist saw the wrath to come. Amen. Um, in verse 2 of, of that same chapter, he witnessed the quote-unquote kingdom of heaven. Amen. So John had insight into, to, to a certain extent, into the secret of men's heart. And as I said earlier, only Jesus then um, knew the fallen condition of the human heart more perfectly than John. Praise God. And um, we see that, um, however, John's vision uh, penetrated the, the facade, the mask covering of the well-respected Pharisees. Amen. Um, because in speaking about them, he called, he called them a brood of vipers. Amen. Because he could see into their souls. God had given him revelation to the condition of these men's souls. Amen. Um, and I think it's worthy to note uh, this about prophets in general, and I'm talking about true prophets of God. Amen. That they are aware of certain things that are hidden from other people. That is part of their ministry of this uh, supernatural knowledge given to them by God. Amen. So going back to, to this story here of the account of when Jesus came to be baptized, um, before the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended, John, by the Spirit, saw something that was overwhelming, even to his own standard of righteousness. And the Holy Spirit allowed him to gaze into the heart of Jesus, and he saw no sins, he saw no lies, and he saw no lust in Jesus's heart. Amen. And uh, he, he, what John saw was a level of holiness that without knowing that he was gazing at the Messiah, uh, yet it caused him to utter in, a, in, in a, 
that he was astonished in astonishment when you know when Jesus came he says I have need to be baptized by you but you come to be baptized by me so John was humbled amen um seeing that he has seen this person who is so pure such a level of purity that far exceeded what he ever knew amen and so uh that you know we need, we need to understand that as the lamb of god hallelujah jesus uh was without spot or without blemish and uh, i don't know if john the baptist understood the you know the full meaning of what he said when he saw jesus coming he says you know he is the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world amen hallelujah whether he realizes that jesus was the messiah uh completely understood the meaning of that but we know that he had at least a certain level of revelation amen that this was the lamb of god and um this is exactly uh what the holy spirit allowed him to see in jesus he saw spot this jesus's spotless purity of heart amen and uh that pretty much took john's breath away you know and you know, this powerful revelation of Christ's inner purity made John immediately aware of his own need. Hallelujah. And this is, I've said all of that so that we too can understand that uh, when we discover a level of righteousness that is much higher than our own, as John had discovered this in Christ, amen, um, then we must be also uh, changed. We must be changed by that. There must be this yearning inside of us, this cry inside of us, the same way that John said, I have to be baptized by you. We must also sense that need inside of us. Amen. That there is a, a hunger that, that we have, that there is a pull towards, you know, wanting to be like Christ, wanting to have what he has come to give us. Amen. So each time we see Jesus, each uh, successive revelation of his purity should make our need to be like him more apparent. Amen. Uh, you know, when we first came to Christ, we began our walk um, embracing life in our own strength. Um, and we trusted in our own skills for success and achievement. Uh, and we really, we turned to God mainly when we were facing challenges or certain painful, you know, experiences. Um, but as we grow in, we, we grow by God's grace, we become more spiritually mature. We realize the danger of relying on, relying on the arm of the flesh. Uh, we get to discover in time that really all true strength and all true effectiveness and our very holiness itself begins with discovering our need to be like Christ, our need for him, our need to be as holy, amen, as we are called to be holy. I started this lesson reading from uh, uh, 1 Peter, amen, um, that tells us, be holy, amen, as I am holy. Praise God. Um, let me see, trying to remember the, the scripture itself, the reference itself. It's First um, Peter chapter 1 and verse 16 that says, be holy as I am holy. Amen. Hallelujah. And so, so we see that, um, you know, we, we need to come to that place where we understand that uh, we have a need to be like Christ. Amen. It is actually our calling. And the very first thing that we are looking at on, on how Jesus walked is to look at his holiness. You know, the Apostle Paul had to come to that revelation of his need also um, for Christ. Although Paul was not in any way dealing with an issue of sin in his life, but rather he was battling what he called a thorn in the flesh, um, a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him uh, that brought persecution against him all the time. And so notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verses 8 to 10, what happens. And this is again Paul's account, amen, in trying to deal with this messenger of Satan that was sent to buffet him. 
And this is what he says, verse, verses 8 to 10. He says, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Amen. So you see, Paul had been here against the, you know, this the, the persecution that had come against him, that was trying to prevent him from fulfilling the what God had called him to, his mission. And he prayed, and he prayed for God to remove it from him. But he came to the realization that it was in his humility and surrender and complete dependence on God that he was made strong. That's why he's able to say that when I am weak, then I am strong. In other words, when in myself I am weak, when I'm no longer depending on myself, but I rely on the power of God, it is then that I am strong. Hallelujah. So he knew that in changing his perspective and looking at it from this standpoint and surrendering surrendering to God, that he would not only be made strong inwardly, but God would fight for him. Amen. And that he would win his fight and that the grace of God would carry him through, would see him through. Amen. Uh, I know that we all, uh, well, I'm sure most of us at least have uh, read Psalm 91. And, um, you know, the, the last part there of that uh, Psalm, verses 14 through 16, uh, contains a promise here to the one that uh, makes the most high God his dwelling place, uh, his shelter. Amen. Uh, I'm going to that passage, Psalm 91, verses 14 through 16. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble and I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy for him my salvation. Amen. Note that this happened upon the Lord as in him, as he is a doer of the word. Hallelujah. As he chooses not to rely upon his own understanding. This is a place of surrender. Amen. And it's essential that we get there because God's thoughts and ways are much higher than ours. Amen. And yielding, when we yield to his will and his ways, that produces that. And, and holiness in turn, as we walk in holiness, releases God's power on our behalf. Praise God. The Lord tells us just how high his thoughts are higher than our thoughts in Isaiah chapter 55. Um, let me go ahead and read that passage. Um, Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9. And then we will go ahead and skip to verse 11. Amen. We will see here the connection between um, surrendering to the will of God, to God's ways, and then how his power goes to work uh, at work towards us. So Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9, and then verse 11. Verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways, than your ways, and my thoughts, than your thoughts. Amen. So here it's established, amen, that God is saying, in order to, if you want me to work in your life, you have to get my thoughts Amen. Inside your own head. Amen. Into inside your own heart and mind. Because you have to renew your mind with my word and start thinking like me. And then as we do so, look at what happens in verse 11. He says, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Amen. So God's word will prosper towards those, for those who take him at his word and apply his word to their lives. Amen. His word will not return unto him void, but it will accomplish that which he pleases and it shall prosper in the thing whereto he has sent it. So we see that as we grow weaker 
in our flesh. Amen. Uh, and become less confident in our own ability that we consider and, and we consider um, we start seeing what we, we thought were our strength uh, through the arm of the flesh. We begin to see them um, as weaknesses, as deceitful attitudes and ways, which actually uh, the enemy uses um, to cover up our pride, to cover up self-confidence. And because these things are meant to keep us from hearing from the Holy Spirit and to prevent us from walking in God's will and eventually from being conformed into the image of Christ, which again is our calling. This is God's first and foremost priority when it comes to his people, our conformation or transforming to the image of Christ. Amen. Um, I don't know if you, you ever read the uh, book of Revelation, they, Jesus has a message there uh, for the seven churches. Amen. And uh, there is a particular verse there that I'd like to read from Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17. It's the message addressed to the church of Laodicea. Amen. And this is what Jesus says to them. He says, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knoweth not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Amen. Notice, in God's eyes, he's saying that though that church felt that they were so successful, they had increased with goods and they have no need of, of anything material. Amen. And Jesus was saying, but yet you don't even know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. In other words, the best of human successes are still for him wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Amen. And so when we start understanding God's standard and God's ways of doing things and, do, and his will, and we line up and we surrender, it is in that place that we truly come to understand the meaning of Acts chapter 17 and verse 28 that says, for it is in him that we live and we move and have our being. Amen. So we may think that, you know, we have spiritual gifts. Uh, we may presume that we are holy. We may rejoice with our human successes. But until we see Christ, until he is revealed to us, and we abandon our reliance upon our own self-righteousness, all we will have at best is religion. Amen. And religion does not save. Religion does not fulfill one um, in any way, shape, or form. It is, again, as we go back earlier, what we says, we have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. You see, but Jesus himself, if we you know, understand um, that he is our source of holiness, and we cannot be so eager to want to have, you know, to be walking in power, to do things for him, that uh, we are willing to skip the inside change that he requires of us. Amen. Uh, because you see, God does not need what we can do for him. What he wants is what we are. He wants to make us a holy people, and we must allow him to do this deeper work in us, to prepare us. Amen. Uh, just think of it, Jesus, and it's not that he was, he had any kind of sin in his life. We know that he's our standard, he's our source of holiness. But the Bible tells us that Jesus lived 30 years of this sinless purity before he did, you know, any, perform any work, displayed his power. So the thing is not about running after power. We want to be so powerful. We want to be seen. We want to feel important. No. You see, Jesus' goal was not to do a great work, but to please the Father with a holy life. And for that same reason, our personal goal should not be to become powerful, but to become holy with Christ's presence. And when we do this, then God promises to empower that which he first makes holy. So he has to first make us holy before he can empower us. So if our Christianity, if we want our Christianity to work, then we must seek Jesus himself as our source and our standard of holiness. Um, if we want to see his power at work in our life, we must seek to know Christ's purity of heart. Amen. And therefore, keep our own way pure. 
a man before him. And scripture tells us that the Lord is our keeper. And to be kept by him does not mean that we will not face temptations. Because we saw earlier that Jesus faced temptation, that he was in every point tempted like we are, but yet without sin. So he knew how to keep himself. And he gives us the power to keep us in the midst of trials and temptation. Hallelujah. And the way he keeps us is through his word. Amen. And um, so we have to purpose to live in his word. We must learn to know intimately the person whom the Bible calls the word. And this person is Jesus. Hallelujah. And, um, you know, the Bible says, um, actually, David wrote in Psalm 119 uh, verses 9 and 11. Psalm 119, verses 9 and 11, he asks a question and then he answers it right away. He says, how shall a young man cleanse his way? Then he says, by taking heed and keeping watch on himself according to your word, conforming his life to it. Amen. I'm reading from the Amplified Classic Version. And then if we skip to verse 11, he also says, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Amen. Hallelujah. So, um, you know, purity, as we can see here, of heart can be reached and maintained if we abide in fellowship with God's word. And no matter what our age may be, we keep our way pure by keeping it according to God's word, which we have treasured in our heart. Amen. Um, To treasure the word means that we must remain fully vulnerable to it, even as it judges us as it judges the thoughts and the intents of our heart, because the word is able to do that according to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that the word is alive, it's full of power, it is sharp, sharper than a two-edged sword, it penetrates asunder spirit, soul, bone, and marrow, and is a discerner of our thoughts and the intents of our heart. Amen. Hallelujah. So as the word penetrates us and even judges the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. It exposes the motives of our heart. And we find that the word is the lamp of the spirit, which illuminates the darkness of our hearts with its light. And therefore, it sets us free from the strongholds of hidden sin. Uh, It may wound, but it also heals. It penetrates deeply into the very core of our being. Amen. And so the word of God united with the Holy Spirit is the vehicle of our transformation into the image of Christ. Hallelujah. And holiness comes to the person, to the believer who treasures the word. Amen. And this is the way that, um, you know, God wants us to, to, to operate in this life. This is how we are going to walk in holiness. Amen and partake of that great power. Uh, We have to allow his mind become our mind. Uh, And, and, you know, God has, again, as we said, great things for us, but we must know that it is his will that we make a quality decision to remain in his word until his power rises up within us and overwhelms everything that is not of him, every wrong mindset, every deception, Um, every sin, uh, fear, all fear, all doubt, everything that exalts itself above the knowledge of Christ. Amen. The word of God that is, has taken root in us will uproot what is not of God, what is not of God. And this is how we let his mind be in us. Amen. Uh, that mind that was in Christ Jesus. And this is how God's holiness is demonstrated in the life of the believer and how his power begins to operate in our lives. And therefore, this is also how we learn to live as overcomers and walk in the glory that he has called called us to. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your grace that is at work in us, enlightening and transforming us. Lord, we receive your touch today, O God, so that we can triumph over sin, so that we can walk 
in righteousness and holiness and arise to partake in the wonderful inheritance that you have given us. Lord, we thank you for this power that is at work in us, oh God, that is strengthening us with might in the inner man, Lord, and we thank you that we can and will be in one mind with you as we yield ourselves to your Lordship, to the Lordship of your word, to the Lordship of your spirit, as we allow our conduct to be aligned with your word so that we can be counted worthy of your calling and we can fulfill all the good of your goodness and the work of faith with power. Power that you available to those who love you, to those who follow you, those who seek after holiness in the name of Jesus. Lord, we give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise for working in us and through us to glorify your most holy name in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hallelujah. Now unto him that is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only was God, Wise God, I will say, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, I thank God for such a study. Amen. And I pray that it's been a blessing to you. And I invite you to join us again next week at the same time. God bless you and have a good night.